Hello, this is Todd Siegel, and you are listening to The Psychic Zone. I'm sitting here looking out the window, and there's rain coming down, and there's I can hear the wind whistling through the window. Um, we're under tropical storm advisory from Hurricane Ian, which did terrible catastrophe to Florida. In fact, I spoke to some clients uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, their whole town was totaled by the hurricane. It was, it's a mess, and I don't think they can go back home for a little while. And they were very concerned about it. Uh, they were on the western western side of Florida, and they had to um, they had to go to Daytona in order to seek refuge. Except I'm sure there's a lot of people who probably didn't get out of there, and there's a lot of you know very uh, hardline sort of people that will just wait it out at all costs. And, um, but I think this hurricane caused tremendous damage because number one, there hasn't been a hurricane like that in Florida for some time now. A lot of times they kind of, uh, breeze the coast or go near but they don't just cross over the inland and cause destruction like that. And it was it was an F4, so it was quite a quite a big hurricane. Anyway, the other reason too is a lot of people have been moving to Florida, relocating to Florida. In fact, many clients I've talked to from other states have been moving there. And they are not used to what the weather is like in the tropics, or what I call consider the tropics. So, and when I moved to Virginia, I was very worried as well, because I was used to snow and northeastern snowstorms and all that. And when I came down here, I, I think it was in 2017. And they were talking about the remnants of a hurricane. I think it was still an F1 that was passing through this area. And I'm like, oh no, what's this going to be like? And I remember I woke up in the morning. It was very foggy and it was like extremely still. I mean, really still. And then all of a sudden I heard this, what sounded like a train coming through, like with a whistle, coming through the trees and the house was shaking. And, you know, any kind of chair I had around the house outside went tumbling. And that lasted for about five or six hours. And, um... I was scared. <laughs> I was really scared. So I'm not used to this kind of weather either. And anyway, Godspeed to all the people who have to now try to recover from it um, if their houses are still recoverable. Anyway, it's a terrible event. Always remember to be prepared in that kind of an event. You know, I lived up in the mountains a long time, and I can tell you that I was, and I lived alone for many, many years, and I was like a mountain hermit. I mean, I had everything stored. I had vegetables stored that I grew in my garden. I had Water pumps sat in the field, hand water pumps, just in case the electricity came, you know, went off. And I really, really had um, 
I was like a pioneer. You know, I used my horses uh, to pull a wagon in the field. I collected maple uh, sap off the trees and made maple syrup. I moved logs, cut all my own firewood, and um, I cooked on a wood stove. I, I remember I used to bake bread in that wood stove. It was so delicious in a cast iron pan. And it was, you know, it was a lonely life, but it, it taught me so much. I don't think I'd be here today if I didn't live such a life of solitude for so many years up in that mountain house. And, um, you know, spending so much time with the animals and even the wild animals that were up there, bear, there were even moose, um, <clears throat> coyotes and even wolves up there. But that experience, you know, if all hell broke loose, I would know how to survive. Um, so anyway, Go back to basics. Basics are very good. People rely on their electronics and their phones and their computers too much. You know? Teach your kids. You know, I think about my daughter. She's always on her phone or her tablet. And, um, except I did teach her things growing up. You know, she used to go in my workshop and see me working on woodwork and she knew about the animals and so she does have the knowledge of that kind of life and uh, it's good to have a foundation like that. It also makes you more grounded. I mean, as the people right now, we are so far off the mark and I've just noticed behavior from people recently. They're so self-absorbed. And, um, you know, life is so full of, you know, very hard things to go through. Very hard things, whether you're sick, uh, whether you lose your ability to walk, um, whether a spouse has passed away or if you've lost a child. As in quite a few of my readings that I've been doing recently, um, going through this with the parents is, is it's, um, it changes your world, it changes your perspective about life. And that gets into um, one of the topics I wanted to talk about, because I'm going to really talk about my, um, I don't like talking about myself, but I do like talking about the work, and I like talking about the readings, and um, how I, you know, it's hard for me to teach people. I, I get people writing to me all the time, can you be my mentor? <laughs> can you teach me this? I, I would like to serve under you. I'm like, I don't know the first thing how how to teach this kind of uh, ability to anybody. Um, I mean, honestly, you have the ability or you don't. I think a lot of us have the ability to some extent, but I can't teach it, you know. I've talked about writing a book, actually, um, and mostly about the work and uh, some of the most incredible experiences that I've had. You have to figure that I've been doing this since about, officially since 2001, and that's many, many years of... Uh, you know, hauntings and investigations and readings and then um, going into the 
public doing this professionally. And, you know, I had a very hard time starting out. I was always being tested. Um, and I tested myself too. I was really hard on myself. I approached it exactly how I approached as a carpenter. And once I, I had the ability, and I knew I had the ability, I had to refine it. And I had to know what works and what doesn't work, what clues mean, <clears throat> what to dismiss and not dismiss. Actually, I don't dismiss anything. Everything sort of fits into an investigation on some level. And one of the things I was going to say was um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the creative mind because um, it's really important to have a creative mind to put all the clues into perspective. The clues come to me but I have to put them in some kind of order that makes sense or some kind of relevance to the case that I'm working on. The first thing actually, and I wrote some things down believe it or not, but how we think affects the outcome of everything. How we think. Because obviously every reading I do is different. Every person and like I compare it to you as being the Wi-Fi, you the client, you're the Wi-Fi, the internet, or <clears throat> what's on that computer screen is the psychic phenomenon. And I'm showing you, I'm interpreting what is on that screen. Okay, so if you, the Wi-Fi, is weak, if I get a weak signal, I'm not going to get very much coming out, you know, of visualization. And there's no way to gauge this. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I've had some very interesting situations uh, dealing with people recently because I find them so tense and so wound up. And if I get somebody who's really wound up asking me the same question over and over again, they're probably not going to get a good answer from me. And um, so it is, you know, Emotion's okay. I mean, if the person's emotional, but it's hard to explain. Sometimes they're emotional, but also they're challenging too. They're challenging to me, you know? And, you know, I've, I've, one of the things, um, I'm not a, how should I say this? I'm content. I'm content with, with things. But I'm not overly one way or another. Okay? Yeah, I've had a lot of personal things in my life that went wrong. Okay? I'm not depressed all the time. And I'm not happy all the time either. I'm kind of right, right in the middle. And um, I always find when people are, sometimes I will get these people, and you probably can identify with this, people that are overly happy about everything. The world's perfect. Every day in life is beautiful. Oh, don't worry about sad events. They're just teaching lessons. You should do some meditation more. You should do things for you more. 
Now, I'm sorry, but I just can't. I can't really jive with that because <laughs> um, I often find with people like that that there's a, a severe opposite to that. And um, I've come across those quite a bit. Yes, I do know some positive people. They're very on the level and wonderful, wonderful friends. But I'm talking about an extreme, you know? Just like in yin and yang in, in, in the Chinese or the Japanese, you know, the bigger one side is, the bigger the back side is. Two sides of the coin. The place to be is in the middle. And it's also good, you know, it's hard to balance who we are as people. Um, it's very important in psychic work to have confidence. It's really important for me to have confidence. If I've had a really shitty week, or if something's come to the plate to really piss me off or to cause problems, sometimes I'll actually, you know, I'll cancel my schedule and I won't do readings. I'm really, really sensitive about that. And there's there's been some incidents um, years ago and even recent where I just had to take the day off. I'm like, you know, I can't read like this. So first, you're only human. And psychics are just as human as you are. And no, they are not mind readers, okay? Um, and oftentimes, and I know this among a lot of, uh, if some of you are mediums or psychics out there, you know that as a sensitive person, you lead a pretty hard life. Whether it's physically hard or whether it's emotionally hard, most psychic people have dealt with quite a bit of pain in their life. And they are not perfect in their relationships. They've often had very kind of negative relationships. Um, as far as childhood, my childhood was actually quite, quite good. And it was my sister and I. But we were also very independent. My mom, she was out a lot. Uh, my mom was young. She, she's always been youthful, you know. Um, and... She was out a lot, so my sister and I had to make our own dinner, to bathe ourselves, to clean up our rooms, <clears throat> to lock the front door, to do all these things ourselves. If we were sick, we had to take care of ourselves or one another. Um, my sister's three years older than I am. So we had this independence growing up. Um, and it is true that I, I got my first founder cycle when I was 15. My mom bought it for me. It was a Honda. And she wasn't a bit worried because I think she trusted me. She knew I, I, I wasn't going to be crazy with it. And I never heard any words from her of, you know, be careful, be careful, um, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't go out in traffic, you know. She never said a word. And, um, you know, I do have a lot of respect for her the way I grew up, but the rest of my life has been insane. And that was another reason why I wanted to write a book was um, I've done so many things in my life. I've lived in so many different situations um, in my life back in the mountains. And it was 
physically excruciating and and painful in many ways and and you know when you've got horses dying in front of you and you've got uh, a flock of sheep with a, with a I remember my whole flock had viral pneumonia one year and I'm sitting there uh, injecting them you know uh, daily or twice a day and then I've got some dying in my arms and then having to bury all of them myself and um, it, it was it was quite a life it was quite a life I spent many many years alone and um, you know I remember I had a, a flu once and I was in so much pain, so achy, so feeling so bad. I was, I had to sleep all day so that I could uh, feed the horses and, and my other animals and go out there. It was, it was like 10 below zero and I'd have to clean stalls and I'm sitting there feverish and sweating and passing out when I come in. You know, I went through a lot. And um, I often find, and I, I lost my perspective here, but I often find that with a lot of psychics and mediums, they, you know, they've gone through uh, a lot of battles in their lives, you know. We're sensitive people. We don't think in the box. But I was talking about how we think affects the outcome, and especially in readings. And, you know, it is frustrating. Um, most of the time, things things go well. Also, you learn as a psychic, um, when, you've got, when you've got a hard customer, you know, uh, how to navigate what you're seeing, you know, and, and that's the hard part. Um, I've had some that are just so blank, and this is this is quite a rare occasion. But they, there is nothing to this person, and it could be true. It could be that that they've um, they live their lives this way, but there is no emotion. There's no change. There's no anything. You know, it's just like relationship readings. When I'm doing a relationship reading and <clears throat> I've got a, a, a woman that's asking me, well, is there anybody in my future? And I'm like, no. Well, what about next year? I'm like, I don't see anybody. I said, possibly in four years. Four years? <laughs> I will tell them, look, what do you do with your life? Well, I, I go to work. And what do you do after work? I go home. I feed my cats. Okay. What do you do on the weekend? I usually read a book or I watch TV. Mm-hmm. And um, how long have you been doing this? Oh, I don't know, a long time. Well, in order to meet somebody, you're going to actually have to step out of your realm. And you're going to have to get a little uncomfortable. And you're going to have to make an effort. I will also get people who really want to meet somebody. But honestly, they've told me many times they didn't want to meet anybody. I'm like, well, have you made up your mind? <laughs> you know. Um, and then they run down the list. They're like, well, I want somebody like this. And no, I don't want somebody who... who who's like this politically, or I, I don't want a smoker, and I don't want, um, you know, want to, I don't know. I, he has to be, he has to be really physically fit. He has to like to travel. 
um, you know, I, I want him in this income bracket. I'm like, you know, do you want me to mail order this person or are you gonna, uh, is there some catalog that we can purchase this kind of person for you? Um, I've never seen relationships develop that way, actually. And um, if you're fussy, and if it, and this is this goes back to how we think, you know. Maybe everything needs to change in your life. Maybe you need to move. You know, locations can often hamper how we move and where we move forward to. I've had people say, oh, well, you know, I can afford it here. This is just such a great place to live. Um, it's not that expensive. I, um, I have a pool outside. I have maintenance taking care of this condo unit. I've got everything I need, but I'll be like, yeah, but you've asked me, you said, do you want a life partner? Yes. But the problem is, um, you live in a really desolate area and I don't see anybody in your area that you're going to meet. So something has to change, you know? And, um, you know, we, we get scared. We get scared of change. I can understand that. The other things. I'm going to look down my list here. Um, yeah, so I was talking about confidence, having confidence in our abilities as psychics, but don't get far off the mark, you know, and don't don't grow a huge ego. Most psychics get in trouble with that. You know, usually when I'm doing a reading, <clears throat> every every reading I kind of go into this like <laughs> this mental fetal position. It's kind of like I'm starting it at ground one. You know, I'm not assuming anything. Uh, my mind, I, I blank my mind very quickly. And I, <clears throat> you know, I'm open. I'm open. You know, sometimes when we, when we, you know, this goes for relationships too, sometimes when we really cut through our ego and our wants and desires and, and, and the past hurt that we've suffered and, you know, or our exes and this and that, and really, you know, eliminate the baggage that's holding us down, then we're ready for somebody else to kind of come in. But until we do that, you're not going to be with somebody who's worthy of you. So, another thing is to know your value as a person. It's not an ego thing, but know your value. You know, a lot of times I'll come across somebody um, who's just who's just a bit of an ass and a little cocky and a little bit condescending and sarcastic with me. I'd be like, go find somebody else to read for you. You know, you must know your value. Because if you're always trying to please and this and that, you're cutting yourself down, you know? 
I used to get that quite a bit actually doing readings and you know not to I'm not going to target people that's such a <laughs> it's such it's such a big word now triggered targeted you know <laughs> don't talk about this group of people <laughs> you're 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 you know you're a narcissist you're this way or that way um well there are certain classes of people that can be a little snooty and a little hard to read for I get those sometimes or I'll get very hard people negative people and um, you know so there, there's all sorts of all sorts of barriers in this kind of work <clears throat> One of the things I wrote down is this is a time of severe disarray, which is true. We just went, went through a pandemic for two years. People <clears throat> have been kind of cut off from society. Um, <clears throat> I remember during the pandemic, I was, um, I, I was walking outside there was an outside, it was our old town, our old mall, and I was walking outside. I wasn't wearing a mask. And <clears throat> honestly, I don't believe they were effective anyway. I think what they did was they gave people a false sense of security. Oh, let's go to this party tonight. We'll be up. You know, we'll be among 100 people, but we're fine because we have a mask on. Or, you know, let's go out. Let's go out more, you know. We're wearing a mask. We're fine. It gave people a false sense of security. Because, you know, one of those masks couldn't stop a virus. I could prove it, too. When I was doing woodworking, I, I used all sorts of masks. I had respirators. I had paint masks, I had dust masks, I had all sorts of masks, okay? One day I was going out into my garage and I was working on a table, I was sanding it. And I didn't have any proper um, woodworking masks because everybody bought them out from the stores. So I had to use my, you know, kind of stand, standard pandemic mask. Well, I was sanding the table for a while, and I came in, and I used the mask while I was sanding, and I turned the mask over. And there was, and in fact, I looked at my face, there was dust in my face. And I blew my nose, and there was dust all over the Kleenex. I'm just like, you know dust particle is a lot bigger than a viral particle just saying but anyway I was at this shopping center and I remember this woman was walking by and in this angry voice you are not wearing a mask I'm like yeah that's right well you should be ashamed you're getting everybody sick around here I could not believe this and this happened Actually, many times, many times. I was outside. And if she was so scared of getting sick, then she shouldn't have been around anybody. Just saying. So my point was, this pandemic, it, it, it really brought out the angry people. It really turned our society against each other in a very, very bad way. Very bad way. Yes, a lot of people got sick. And many, many, many cases of people who died that I worked on. But that really turned our society upside down. And um, 
the whole time during it, I felt like nobody, nobody was really caring for each other. I mean, shouldn't we be supporting each other and helping each other? I remember one day, actually, um, I was not feeling well. My stomach was really bad. In fact, it was so bad that I, I couldn't even like walk upstairs. I was just down the floor. I don't know what it was. It must have been a flu, something. Maybe it was part of the pandemic, who knows? And I asked one of my friends, I said, Can you come over here? I, I need I you know, need some supplies, I'll give you some money. She's like, No way. I'm not getting near you. I might catch it. Are you crazy? So I was sitting there on the bathroom floor suffering for hours and just had to work it out myself. But I came across that a lot during the whole pandemic thing. And um, now we're coming out of it. And now we are in a, I would say, a pretty bad economic crisis. And um, I'm seeing a lot of selfishness out there coming to the surface again. And so when I talk about a lot of disarray in the society, we've got a lot. We've sort of lost our purpose. We, we are not grounded as a society anymore. You know, we, we've got all of these um, cancel culture topics which are sort of feeding these young minds and you know, there, there's a silent revolution going on. It's getting pretty dangerous. You know, it's, it's, it's going against us old people, as they would say, and our moral values. And, you know, you believe in this. And, you know, anyway, we've got a lot of problems as a society right now. And it does filter into, into the readings occasionally. I also wanted to talk about some of my recent readings too. And <clears throat> how I go about doing investigations. There was a, one just the other day that I was working on. It was... Um, I will say this, it was out in the Midwest, um, for a woman who was a concerned, uh, working on an investigation herself. She does some investigating. And it involved a five-year-old boy who um, they still haven't found his remains because we assume that he is deceased. There's actually some admittal through... Um, some you know, one person who actually committed suicide. Anyway, I was working on this case and I felt pretty confident about the read because even before I called her, I had a pretty good idea. I just got a photograph of the child. Uh, I also asked for the address too because um, we're basically trying to find the remains of this child. Both parents are actually in prison. Um, it, it's a little bit uncertain, but part of it is, is it, it's not exactly for the murder of this child, but it, it, it's associated with, with things that they've done. Um, but I already knew these things, and so we began our conversation, and um, I immediately got abduction. And she was talking about the parents and person this and that. I'm like, no, it's not them. So there were certain things that already came to me 
But what what was interesting was um, I was getting some names, and a friend of mine has a son, and his name begins with the letter R. And um, I don't know why it was coming to me, but like all these investigations, I get these little details and I put them on the back burner because I feel that they are going to mean something somewhere. I also saw that the child disappeared within close proximity of the house. This wasn't a wandering child for miles and miles. He, by the way, he was autistic. And a lot of dysfunction went on in the house. Okay, I knew that. I described a, a vehicle, a truck, I believe. And what I do is I come up with uh, my visualizations, and then I have to creatively put this into a context and then look on the map and see if anything has relevance on the map to what I'm seeing. Some people think that I look on the map and I'm trying to find things, but that's not true. What I'm doing is I'm actually seeing things in my mind, and then I'm looking at the map to see if they correlate. You know, if I see a number two in a highway, while well, I'm starting, I want to look on the map and see if there's a highway with a number two. If I get a number 12, that's right on the money for me. Um... I did see a highway actually in the map and, and it seemed relevant in this case. I didn't know what it meant. So a lot of times I'm seeing things and I don't know what it means. But I know it's going to mean something at some point. Apparently uh, a man claimed that he hit the boy with his car because the boy was out at night on the road, in the middle of the road, and this man, I guess, didn't see him. The man was also intoxicated, too, so he knew that if he killed this child and he was drunk, that he would be probably in prison for murder one. So, he was very worried. <clears throat> so I got a picture of this man because I wanted to see him. And I'm like, that's him. And so the other part was, well, what about my friend's child's name with the R? Where does that come in here? Well, <clears throat> he happened to, uh, I believe it was Rye Street or Rye Street or something like that. Well, it sounded exactly like my friend's son's name. And so I was pretty impressed because actually that that was that was a, a right on hit. I also said there was a shed in the back his backyard of his house. Now his house originally I thought the body was very close to the home where the child lived, but the suspect's house is seven miles, uh, almost like a straight line. Um, across from it. So I'm willing to forgive myself for that. But I knew the highway was used because that seemed very significant. And that's how he would go to his house, just a straight country highway. And this is a very rural area. Um, anyway, the police never investigated this man other than uh, for being intoxicated and claiming to hit the boy, and um, they wanted to actually bring him back to court, and that's when he committed suicide. A very sad thing. I didn't think he was a bad person. Just a lot of trouble, and emotional trouble, too. Where does the abduction come in? Well, I believe after he hit the boy, he actually took him in his car back to his house and I do believe he put him out in the shed until he could figure out what to do in fact I don't even think the boy was dead at that point I think he was still kind of alive but he didn't know it and 
that's where the abduction part came into me. Now, we, we do have to, this case will be, there's actually a, a cemetery right across from this man's house. And my client said that one of the graves was, it looks like it had a pile of dirt on it. Because all the other graves are flat, but this one had a mound on it. And she's seen it before. Well, so they are going to be doing some investigating over there. I think authorities or, or private detectives or somebody's going to be checking this out. One of the other things that was kind of interesting in this case was that I was talking about a sister. Well, this boy didn't have a sister. He had two brothers. But where this mound of dirt happens to be is right on top of a girl that died a long time ago. So there's my sister in spirit. So that's just kind of a, a glimpse into how, you know, how I, I bring these facts into perspective and you do have to have a bit of creativity you know um, I think a lot of psychics and mediums are very creative people actually and we use another side of our mind to put things together I mean if you asked me to do certain things I couldn't do them like schoolwork that kind of stuff And sometimes people explain things to me, I just don't have a clue. It's just my mind works very, very different. So I find with a lot of psychics and mediums that our minds work very differently than the norm. But in psychic investigating, I, I've learned to uh, not assume anything. And to take all these little details and to put them in perspective. And I'm always going back to the beginning, the first things that I saw. I don't want to dismiss them. Because they could have some relevance. I knew in this case about the boy that I saw shoveling. So I assumed that he was buried. And um, also a home right across from a graveyard. I know from experience can be troubling to a sensitive person. I could never live next to a cemetery. I could never. It, it, it would drive me crazy. I would be feeling spirits all the time. Because the, the, the remains of the body are somewhat different than the spirit. That's the physical manifestation of that person. It has a very different energy than just somebody's spirit. And I'll have to talk about that sometime. Uh, it, it's very relevant when I talk uh, to people who've got ashes in their house of people. I don't believe it's a very good thing to do. I do think that the ashes should be placed in a memorial or in a special place, but not in the home. Because it can bring spirits into your home. It's also the physical energy is contained of that person. What if that person died of violent means? What if they were shot? And then you kept the ashes. That energy of being shot is still there with that person. I've had people report um, illnesses. I've, I've had them say that the energy of the house just, it was very unsettling. You know, if the ashes are in the living room. It's like every time I go in this living room, I feel very sad. I feel very depressed. You know, I've heard these things over and over again. 
So out of respect for the dead, I do believe they should be in, a, in, in an appropriate place. <clears throat> I, I don't think by keeping the ashes with you that you are closer to that person. That person's already close to you. Okay? They're close to you in spirit, in the invisible world. The ashes can bring some negative negativity to the household. That's just my belief. That's my personal belief. Okay? It goes for pets too. Now, some people are totally fine with it, have no problem at all uh, with you know, having the ashes of pets in their home. I'm like, okay, well, it's fine. Go ahead. But I am a little superstitious about that. No, I can't go into cemeteries very often. It, it, it's hard for me. I feel all that energy there. It's not like I'm afraid somebody's going to, you know, inhabit my body or my mind. It, it's not quite like that. Um... There, there's just a lot of spirits uh, that come through. And when spirit energy comes through to you, it can be intense for any medium. It can be very intense. And sometime I'll have to talk about some of the um, cases that I've been on, some additional cases, but I just thought I'd mention that one case. And I'll keep you up to date on this case. Uh, it hasn't been resolved yet, and um, this happened, I believe, in 2018. But it's very, very unfortunate, and the way things happened in this whole thing, but if I can do my job and try to help the client to solve this because she'll be working on the ground with this pretty much, then I feel like I've done my job. And lastly, on my list, interacting with the dead. So I was asked a question about um, what is it like to be on these cases and do I ever communicate with the person that is deceased who I'm investigating? And the answer is yes, definitely. Um, I'm not sure if I discussed this last time or not, but I'm working on a big case uh, out of York County, which is not far from me, about an hour away. It involves a 12-year-old boy. Police said it was suicide. We believe it isn't. That means the parents and I believe. We don't think it is at all. I've been working on this case since about May, and now it's gotten a lot of media attention. The... Um, the authorities are not cooperating with the parents, and the parents aren't cooperating with the authorities. And there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on, but I know for sure that this boy did not kill himself. He was 12 years old. Just a beautiful, beautiful boy in every way. But when I work on this case, I'm connected to that boy. I talk to him. I see him. And it, it is it has helped the mother, you know, for me to connect with him and to give her signs and messages and things from him. It's helped her to cope with this. This is the hardest thing a mom could ever go through or a dad. And so when I work on these cases, um, I do acquire new friends that aren't living. And, and it's a wonderful thing to me because 
I've made new friends, only they're dead. And it's such a real experience uh, sometimes. Uh, I'll tell you an experience about that that happened. So the parents moved from that home because they are high-ranking officers in the military and their job brought them to another city. I'll put it that way. And so they had to move after this whole incident. Very hard thing to do. But I was in their house. And they weren't there at one time. And the parents hired a um, private investigator to work on this as well. And he was working with me a little bit. Not as much as I would have liked, though. And he had a uh, somebody who was helping him, another investigator. And they were collecting evidence in the house. This was before the house was sold to somebody else, actually in the military. So I, I saw the boy in my mind. He was running upstairs. He was, he was running across the hallway in my mind. That's, I, I saw him. Now, of course, the boy's with his mom, too, and his dad, and, and his, his brother and his sister. And we often think of the spirit as being the singular person, okay? Well, how can he be here and be there, too? We're no longer tied to our body. Our spirit can be in different places. Okay? And so, after they were investigating, the second investigator there happened to have been wearing, I noticed he had a hearing aid. And he said, to the other investigator, he said, I heard some something upstairs. He's like, what? I heard walking. And they both ran upstairs to make sure that nobody was up there. Came back down, scratching their heads. Nobody's nobody's up there. And I was <laughs> I was just laughing. <sighs> And they're like, why are you smiling? And I said, well, I said, what's the deal with your hearing aid? Is it, is it rather high? And he says, yes, it's on high. <laughs> I said, well, I saw the boy running around up there, so you probably heard him. They looked kind of white in the face after that. And... Um, but I experienced things like that. And I did. I personally did not hear him running around. But I saw him in my mind up there. And I know he's still around that house sometimes with the new owners. But he's also with his mom because he's described his, his place at their new house. Um, they've made special arrangements to have his own space at their house. It's, it's you know, they're, they're fabulous, fabulous people, really fabulous. And, um, but I do become attached to the people that I read and the victims, and this happens all the time. Um, and, you know, the dead also look over my life pretty thoroughly too. So when I'm doing a mediumship reading, um, I remember one time I was doing a reading for this woman who she lost her mom. And I was laughing so hard because the mom was saying, you know, hey daughter, uh, this guy's single. I mean, he's, he's pretty good looking. <laughs> Why don't you, um, I mean, she was so bald, but her daughter 
said that's the way she is. She would say stuff like that. So a lot of times these spirits are interacting with me. You know, I've had some. I remember I was doing one for a man who was a farmer. And half the time he was talking about horses and he was talking about mine. He says, oh yeah, he says, I know those kind of horses. I worked with them when I was younger and, you know. So I have these conversations uh, going on when I'm communicating with the dead. And, um, but when I see a terrible incident that happened to a young child or to anybody, Yes, I, I think of the terrible tragedy, but I'm also connecting with that person. And it, it's a very, very unusual feeling. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling in many ways. So I've made a lot of friends of the dead. It's not like I interact with them all the time, but, you know, well, in the with the twelve-year-old case, when all of a sudden the mom comes on the phone with me and we're discussing things, um, he's listening in, and um, he's around her, and to be able to explain that to people who are so stuck in this life, who are so stuck in in their jobs and their incomes and, and their pleasures and their trips and, you know, oh, I bought this car and, oh, we're getting a new house and, you know, all this stuff. There's a lot more to life than that, but unfortunately a lot of people will not see it. And I will leave you with that thought. There's more to this life than what most people think. Yes, life is a very hard thing. We go through some very hard times, um, terrible things. We get sick, we go through bad relationships, but, but there really is a lot of wonderful mystery out there. And it's not over in this life. And make the most of your life. You don't have to be one of the positive warriors out there. But learn some contentment. Learn some balance. You know, I was just thinking one last thought too. Um, there's a friend of mine I have on Facebook and uh, he lost his mom recently. He's an, uh, just a really nice guy, uh, loves animals, extremely artistic. He, he's his own businessman. And, you know, I, I, I feel the loss of this mom's been so hard on him. And... Sometimes we need a change, though, and he's not one for change, but sometimes when we go through that, we, we need a bigger change than what we think. And, you know, he's um, incredibly single, which I find so hard to believe because he is a real genuine person, nice. And unfortunately, we do have a lot of selfish people out there who only think about themselves and him being a sensitive soul has just had a hard time with that. So a lot of times we do need a big, bigger change than what we think, you know. And uh, part of the problem of being a psychic is that we are, we're also very sensitive, you know, to people and the things that they go through. And we have to detach from it 
sometimes or will go crazy. Anyway, I have no idea what I'm going to name this podcast, but I'll try to come up with the name. And um, it was very nice for you to listen in and to join me on this uh, windy, rainy, um, hurricane uh, day. It was getting quite windy as I was talking to you. I could hear the wind whistling through my windows and um, hopefully it'll blow over soon. And like I said, um, best wishes for people who have been hit by this storm and um, keep positive. You'll get through it, you know. Anyway, goodbye for now and take care.